I would encourage you to open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I said it puts up a a picture of my computer. I was hoping for a bit more. The message is entitled, The Living Word, this morning. One of the commitments we have at Bible Fellowship Assembly is to be a people in a personal relationship with our God in heaven. One of the ways we do that is a consistent approach to Bible study, Bible study and doing that together. And this morning we're embarking on a series in, this, in, in a study together on the Gospel of John. And we'll be doing that somewhat verse by verse, but at least section by section. And this morning it's my purpose to introduce that study. First, a brief word of prayer. Dear God, our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we are also cognizant of your presence with us this morning as we study the Word that you gave to us. We pray that it would indeed, like the Apostle John, help us to, if we're not disciples, to become such, and if we are disciples of Christ, to become more like him. And we commit ourselves to you afresh with our minds and with our hearts to to open and to receive your word this morning together in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to imagine as we, and, and, and I'd like you to visualize as we work our way through this book that you are the Apostle John, the writer of this book. It's not just a technical series. It may feel a little bit like that today. But we have a lot to learn from at the feet of the Lord Jesus and also at the feet of the Apostle John as he received what God had for him in his life. I'd like you to listen to John just for a moment. I should have wore the appropriate garb for this, but he has some words for us from heaven this morning. I know it's confusing for you to know who I am as John was such a common name. I am not John the Baptist. I will tell you more of him in a minute. Nor am I John who with Annas and Caiaphas sat in judgment on the apostles Peter and John in the book of Acts. He was of the relatives of the high priest. Nor am I John Mark. John was the Hebrew name of Mark. He is designated by this name in the Acts of the Apostles as well. I am John the Apostle, the brother of James the Greater. I was the younger son, I was the younger of the sons of Zebedee and Salome and was born at Bethsaida. For those of you who are not familiar with my geography, Bethsaida was a city and uh, at the north end of the Sea of Galilee, and it was a fishing village. Also from our town was Philip, not the one present here this morning, Andrew, and Peter. My father was well off, and so I was able to get the standard level of education, but he encouraged us, his sons, into business and to become fishermen. I loved the sea, and like most fishermen, I like to tell stories. Some fishermen we know. It's not true, but this story is true. Rod is awake. And also like to listen to stories. One day I was listening to a fellow by the same name as me, but they also called him the Baptist. God knows our fishing village needed his message of repentance. I listened to him many times because unlike many of the storytellers, he was not after money or after his own fame but he spoke of someone he called the Lamb of God. 
It was through the Baptist that I met the one he was a preaching about. He was preaching about Jesus, and at first followed him a little with Andrew to listen to what he had to say. Some of us spent a lot of time talking about what we learned about the Lamb of God. He was looking for people to follow him full time, but we had our livelihood to look after. One day Jesus was teaching out of one of our boats near the shore, and when he was finished his stories, he took us out fishing. What a day that would be. My brother James and I and our partner Simon Peter could not believe how many fish we caught. But as we talked about it, we realized that this man was able to look after all of our needs if we were to follow him full time. If I told you how many fish we caught, you probably wouldn't believe us, particularly Rod. So we left our fishing trade, and for the rest of the story, I would ask you to read our books. God himself inspired me to write five books at various times in my life. I was privileged to write about things of the future that God showed me when I was in exile, and also had to write a few letters to encourage some people who were misunderstanding what a true follower of the Lamb of God uh, was to be. But the main work I would ask you start with, to start with is my gospel. That's where I explain all the fantastic things that happened once I started to be a wholly committed disciple. I pray as you read my story that you too will become a better disciple of my beloved Lord. In this gospel, several times I refer to myself as the disciple that Jesus loved. That was not to set me above any of the others, but to encourage you to bring yourself so close to him that you too will understand his love and how he wants us all to be in that position of God's beloved disciples. So John the fisherman, and it's back to Philip now, not that Philip, but this Philip, uh, is the author uh, inspired by God to write uh, the fourth gospel. What is a gospel anyway? And some of you know all this, but we'll just uh, flip through some of the basics together. It comes from the word euangelion in Greek, meaning good tidings or good news. Uh, And the gospel was typically uh, something that was written down from the oral tradition of the time and uh, was written for particular purposes. It It was not written as pure history or geography, but its history and geography were factual. Its history was organized to the purpose of the writer. And the main purpose of the gospel, generally of the four of them, it was to bring readers to a personal acceptance of the good news that was being brought to them in the gospel and accept the giver of that news, the Lord Jesus Christ, as their own, uh, as their own Lord and Savior and Lord. Uh, why, we, we want to look at the, just briefly at the four Gospels that are written and understand how John fits in the context of those Gospels. Uh, I've give, given a little table here that shows that uh, uh, we have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The author of, of Matthew was a tax gatherer. Mark was really written by Mark, but under the tutelage uh, uh, of uh, Peter and his, uh, his words and uh, storytelling to Mark. We understand Luke was a doctor and John uh, was a fisherman. Now, we've, the, the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are very similar in nature, and John is a little bit different. The first three are known as synoptic Gospels, and John is known as an apoptic Gospel. 
big words. Let me just explain. The first three Gospels are a synopsis. They're a summary of things that each individual writer wanted to present. An optoptic in John is very very much more selective and distinctive, and he has very more specific purposes as he wrote his Gospel, and he focuses into some things that he wanted to uh, convince people uh, with the Gospel to to believe uh, in, uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. They each have a theme that, you, that uh, hangs the book together. In Matthew, he was, Jesus was being shown as the King of Israel. The Gospel of Mark showed Jesus as the servant of Messiah, a servant of God, the Messiah who was to come. Uh, Luke was uh, showing Jesus as the Son of Man. And in the case of John's Gospel, he is trying to demonstrate to all that he was the uh, Son of God. In Matthew, we have the, uh, the presentation of the theocracy of God sovereign over the whole world and his son, uh, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who he sent to this earth. In Mark, we have a presentation of uh, the one who served and the nature of service and how he served God and how we are to be like him in our service of God as well. In the Gospel of Luke, we have the holy place, the, vision, the view of Jesus as the as the one who was the son of man and very much a person in the, living in this world, a man, uh, but also holy God, and uh, stitching that together for us. And in John, we're, we were brought into the holy of holies, as it were, uh, to dwell and live with him through the eyes of John as the uh, son uh, of God, the divine son, the second person of the uh, Trinity. The first three uh, Gospels talk about... Uh, uh, um, uh, the Lord's teaching that we are to follow him and John gives more of an explanation of why the people did in fact follow him. There's, uh, the, the four Gospels are, uh, ha- have some common elements uh, and, and John, sorry, why, the, why a fourth Gospel is sh- the question should be. Uh, first of all, in, in the comparison between the first three Gospels and and John, we have a, uh, a supplement to the others. Uh, and uh, the first three, I'm getting behind myself a little bit. Um, the first three provide the facts and the stories, and John tends to provide the spiritual significance of what is being presented in the first three. The second aspect of the, uh, of the Gospel of John is that it is polemical. Uh, this word comes from the Greek word war, and a pole- polemic is, a, is an attack on false doctrines, or it is an argument in favor of the truth, and J- the Gospel of John is that. In the background, there are uh, the people of God who rejected him, and he was trying to teach them in a specific way why, why they are wrong in their thinking, and why Jesus was right and to be accepted. He, it was a, a polemic. And he, there are examples of that, and we won't go through too many examples for the sake of time. Uh, the, the followers of John the Baptist in the book of Acts, John was writing to refute. Uh, they're continuing to follow him rather than, for that, uh, than to continue under John the Baptist, and they ought to turn uh, and uh, be with Jesus And some of those uh, examples. The very uh, leaders of Israel who he came to, and as John 1 says, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. He came to the leaders of Israel, but they rejected him. And a lot of the 
first part of the book is about his relationship with them, overturning the, overturning the temples and their practices and their, their teachings of the rabbis and so on. And it's very clear throughout that book that this is a polemical book to, pers- to try and, first of all, persuade them that they are wrong. They ought to turn to him as the true God and true man to follow. The gospel is evangelical. It's uh, primarily evangelistic in its nature. It's a call to believe. It's a gospel. It's bringing good news, but it's not just for the sake of our intellect. He's calling each one of us to listen to the call and to respond to it in this way. John chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31. uh, John said this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, by believing you may have life in his name. So it's a call to salvation, but it has, at the same time is a call to ongoing belief, the kind of ongoing belief that sticks us close to him. Come and abide in me, Jesus said to them. Come and live in me. Uh, come and be with me are the calls that uh, there. It's not just uh, go to church, accept a certain, uh, sign a card and do a certain thing. And from, from then and thereafter, you're fine. You can go off and do your own thing. The nature of God's call to us through his son is to come to me, be close to me, live for me, and serve me uh, as my own disciple, brother, and, uh, and follower. The, uh, the other thing that uh, is, is meant in this evangelical nature of the book is the securing of eternal life through knowing him. This is the message of the gospel to the whole world. And in the gospel of John, John refers to the word world in scope more than any of the other gospels. He talks over and over and again, over and over again about the world and the applicability of all that he's teaching to the whole world and that all of the world are called to him. He has saved everyone. He has provided the way of salvation for everyone. All there is for us to do is to express our acceptance of that free gift that he gives and, uh, and John 17 and verse 3, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The good news about the gospel is that he, he has brought us to an eternal life that has a quality of, a high quality of living this life and the hope of an eternal life with God for eternity. What a wonderful thing uh, this gospel is. Uh, this book is also very instructional, and it's one of the, that, that, for that reason, it's very uh, much a favorite of Bible students. Uh, in, the, in the Synoptic Gospels, there's reference to prayer as an example. In John, he teaches us the mechanisms of prayer, the principles of prayer, and how we are to pray uh, and why we are to pray, what the conditions of prayer are, and so on. Uh, John gives the theological significance of synoptic, I'm using words too big for myself as well, theological significance of synoptic events. For example, the example of demon possession. In the, in the uh, three Gospels, we have stories about the, about the events of demons being driven out by Jesus and uh, for people who were empowered uh, by demonic uh, presences, presence. In the Gospel of John, he teaches us about the nature of conflict that's going on in the world between good and evil, between God and the evil one, and articulates for us a very 
full world view of how we, to, we are to understand uh, demonic power and its effect on the life of those who let that power in and also teaches about the significance of the deliverance of Christ and his power to overcome the world. And you'll see those kind of uh, uh, instructional verses as we go uh, through them. One example, John chapter 16 and verse 11. Uh, and in regard to judgment, because of the prince of this world now stands condemned, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are freed and we are free from those kind of uh, forces. One of the things that you're going to hear uh, is about the signs and miracles of Jesus. Now, when we talk about a definition of miracle, for us, it's a, it's a useful word. For God, it's, uh, it's just him. We talk about miracles as if there's something special that, uh, that God did in, in some way that, uh, for particular purposes, which he did. But he is not just supernatural. As God, he is sovereign over the natural space. And for him to act according to his own purpose in the natural space, he's not constrained by scientific observations or principles. He does as he pleases in the world that he made. And so, but in, in, the, in the view of the world, he is presenting himself coming from heaven just to demonstrate to people that he is the son of God who always existed, who was himself the creator of the universe and came uh, to show himself and prove to everyone that that's who he was and he is to be believed for then and for now. And so we have these seven signs. My dad would be proud of that, that I counted them up and found seven, the perfect number. He had the perfect number of children. Okay, enough of that. So I just went through these signs and want to just summarize what those, what those signs were about. Water to wine, he brought a quality of life to a marriage. The healing of the nobleman's son, he demonstrated that he was not constrained by distance to do his work. Uh, and in the healing of the impotent man, he was not constrained through his power and his enabling uh, with time. Feeding of the 5,000, uh, the sign of multiplication of food. Uh, he's demonstrating that he is the one who is the bread of life and can fulfill the needs of us in this life. He is the uh, walking on water, of course. He is not subject to natural laws. Jesus walked on water. Peter found that he was uh, constrained by natural law, in case you didn't get my ref oblique reference. Healing of the blind man. Uh, he was the master over suffering. But also in the language of John, I just want to highlight one thing. It's full of very rich, very simple words. He talks about it was night when he went to see Nicodemus. He talks about light from darkness. And these themes are so rich in literature, but they are so, so absolutely true with respect to God and his purposes in our lives. He wants to deliver us from darkness and bring us into light. He wants us to have a worldview that is, is full of light and, and void of darkness and so on. And just before he went to the cross, of course, he showed himself as the master over death by the resurrection of Lazarus. I'm not going to dwell here. All the speakers will fit their own uh, outlines to talks and so on. But this book is very instructional through its very structure. In chapters 1 to 5, we have the revelation of the Word of God who, be, who came as the Lamb of God and his whole purposes are outlined as he called people to himself through chapters 1 through 5. 
In the next chapters, he talks about the display of the light of God. Why he came to, he came unto his own that they might see the light. And he showed all the magnificent ways in which he was the light of the world. And then chapters 14 through 17, we see love expressed to his own. And this is, a, this is a principle that John works with uh, even when he called himself the beloved disciple. He wants us to see that when we follow him as a true disciple, there's a special relationship that he bestows on those people. He, if we have faith in him and trust him, he entrusts himself to us, his purposes, his nature, his guidance, his counsel. And all of those, those things unfold to true disciples and uh, in, in a love relationship between men and women and between the God of heaven uh, through the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the Word expressing God uh, to us. You ask me, well, why didn't you finish this structure story and cover the last chapters? Well, I think the last chapters show all three of these principles of, of what God is trying to do uh, through the Gospel of John uh, as he went to the cross of Calvary. Uh, the other instructional thing about the Gospel of John by structure is this. And, and you've, if you follow this story carefully, you'll begin to understand his relationship to the Jewish nation at the time. And what happened in a very big way where he left the old covenant behind and he made a new covenant with man. He came unto his own. What did his own do? His own rejected him. And that's part of the story. As you work through, you'll see he gave them every opportunity to turn to him. Forget the meaningless traditions of their past and focus on the realities that he wanted to bring in fulfillment of the, of the, of the fundamental godly purposes of the old covenant and to make up for its shortcomings and make it real for us by his giving of himself on the cross and initiating a new world of the new covenant, the church and the uh, bringing in of the Gentiles that the Jewish people failed to do. Uh, I know I'm on tape here, and so on. Um, and again, uh, the last chapters, verses, uh, chapters 13 to 17, we have that personal relationship that he, that he had with his disciples, teaching them through those discourses uh, of what it was, what he, why he came, what he was doing, what he was going to do, uh, why, how he was going to prepare a place for them, John 14, and all of these wonderful, wonderful topics of, uh, uh, that brings fullness of meaning and significance to our lives. And uh, uh, so it's instructional through those learnings. It's also instructionally distinctive from the other three Gospels. You'll not see much about parables. You'll not see much of the Galilean ministry. He focuses on the uh, Judean ministry. There's not that much about the ordinances where his, he, he covers these in more detail in the first chapters. Uh, he talks. He doesn't talk much about Israel's future the way the other Gospels do, for example, Matthew 22 and so on. So just some things to record and you'll uh, look at these things as we go through. John is very focused on convincing the whole world that they should accept Jesus as the Messiah promised in the Old Testament, the one who is the Son of God, the one who came as the Lamb of God. First of all, came as the Word of God to display God to us. And then he became the Lamb of God, to be the Savior of the whole world as an offer of eternal life. I think I've uh, covered this. I just want to uh, follow up on the last question we have time for is, who is this Jesus? And we've been covering this as we've been going along. 
his relationship to God. He makes the very straightforward claims in this book that he came as the divine son of God. The Jewish leaders understood that because they, they accused him of what? They accused him of blasphemy. They accused him of the very thing he was trying to bring to them as truth for them to accept. And they rejected him because he claimed uh, to be the divine son of God. Uh, in chapter 1, and we don't have time to go through it, he claimed to be the creator of the world. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be sovereign over all of the affairs of men. And he, again, I said we'd say a few words about John the Baptist since it comes in early in the book. Look at the differences between the one who preached about his coming and the one who came. And those things are, are, are very instructive. Christ was, he wasn't just born and became a man. He was the eternal son of God who came and the word became flesh is the, is the uh, Christmas story in, in summarized in the book of John. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. John the Baptist was a, a man preaching a message that was given to him uh, by God, whereas Christ claimed to be God himself. I am the light of the world. John the Baptist came to bear witness to the light. He came as one who wanted to be the object, the person of trust. And John the Baptist's message was that man would come and trust him. We have one song to sing, so I'll leave the other observations uh, uh, for a later time. As they come forward, I'll just uh, close the last thoughts in this way. He came and he was rejected by many. He was received by some, and to those some, he gave them special revelation of himself to the ones who open their hearts and minds to him each and every day. Uh, I again would emphasize that there is much to learn as we go through the Gospel of John by putting our th- our eye lenses on as if we were the Apostle John and see what he is teaching from his perspective and, of course, also take the viewpoints of the Lord himself as he went through these various uh, stories and, and uh, chapters of, his, of John's, John's book. The, the big thing to highlight about John, I think, as we do that, is his love relationship with the Lord. And that's what he's calling each of us to today. And as we abide in him, as he has called us to, to do, uh, we will see as we study this book that God, G, John gives us the means whereby we can draw close to him, live for him as true disciples. I was in uh, my, my mom's new, uh, new uh, Cadillac apartment there uh, not too long ago with Peg and with my two sisters. And uh, mom had us all get together and hold hands and to pray. And she does that just about every time uh, we're there. He says she prayed this prayer. And I'll record it and then leave it to the musicians. And I'll ask Ryan if you would close in prayer. Beloved Lord Jesus, I look forward to seeing my sweetheart when I get to heaven. But of course, I will see you first. As we open this place and we um, continue on with our day and throughout the week, um, I pray that we would just remember these words from this song and um, the words from this message, Lord. And um, when things just aren't going our way, we pray that we put our trust in you. Uh, we pray these things 
In the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.